We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Good morning and welcome to the morning briefing for Friday, March 30th, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jonathan Kopanger is your fill-in producer for JQs today. And coming up on the show, we'll be joined by the VFW's Joe Davis. We're going to talk to Joe about a number of subjects, including the change of leadership at the Department of Veterans Affairs and the Hill Vets 100 Gala that took place in Washington, D.C. last night. Later on, we'll talk with one of the Hill Vets 100 honorees, Major Zach Fike of the Vermont National Guard, about the incredible work he's doing when he doesn't have the uniform on. See, Zach is the founder of the organization Purple Hearts Reunited that's working to get the medals earned by our men and women in uniform back where they rightfully belong with those veterans and their families. So a big, fun end of the week show, and it all starts now as we welcome Jonathan Copanger to the studio. Jonathan, the crowd loves you. Yes, they do. They usually do. That's they, a crowd that follows me everywhere so I go. Every, every room you walk into, it's everywhere. really noticeable that people just, woo! Jake, every once in a while, they boo him. It seems to be random. They will cheer him on a Monday, boo him on a Tuesday, cheer him again Wednesday, Thursday, boo him on a Friday. It's because he doesn't know from color. He there doesn't wear go. color. There you go, Jake. Jake dresses in a very specific fashion, and that fashion is <laughs> to let people know what bands he likes. Right. <laughs> that's, his, that's his biggest concern. You are. You just showed me. It's, it's radio, so people couldn't see that. You are wearing some orange shoes. Yes. Maybe the most orange shoes I've seen outside of a sporting uniform, and I like that because opening day was yesterday, and as you can tell from the baseball hat that I'm wearing, orange is the secondary color of my team, that bright orange of the New York Mets. A friend of mine posted uh, a picture of, of the, I guess, the game the Mets were playing. I don't, I don't, you, know, yeah. you can tell I don't know from sports. <laughs> yep. And so, you know, this is a, a really good old friend of mine, and so because I know you like the Mets, I decided to break out the orange shoes in go. honor of you and them because they won, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They won uh, eight to four. Four, I think it was. And I was, uh, as I was getting ready for the Hill Vets 100 gala last night, I was uh, selected, I think, based on looks to be one of the Hill Vets 100 honorees. Must it was have like been. best looking <laughs> veteran or something like that. Um, I, I, uh, I had to exchange my tuxedo shirt because apparently the tuxedo guys thought that my neck was a little bit smaller than it actually is. <laughs> so I had to go bring that. So I had to run some errands. So I was listening to some of the game. Great game. Baseball season. As I've gotten older, Jonathan, I've I've cared less and less about sports. I used to be a big college basketball fan. Now I'm like, eh, I don't really, I don't really care. <laughs> Who are you I mean, talking to here? If my alma mater made it to the the NCAA tournament, which they've only ever done, I think once or twice, uh, once in the modern era, uh, I guess I'd be excited about that. Uh, college football, dude. I'm from the Northeast. We don't really care about college football. Pro football. This year, I just stopped watching it as much, and it wasn't about the anthem protests or anything. It was just. I don't know. It takes a lot of time, and I just didn't care as much. Also, my team wasn't particularly good this year, but by the end of the season, I just canceled the NFL Red Zone channel. I didn't want to watch it anymore. Like I just had no interest. Um, baseball is the one sport. 
Oh, and hockey, my favorite team, uh, ceased to exist in 1997. So that went out the window. (laughs) Um, Baseball is the one. That's the one where there are 162 games. First one for the Mets was last night. I pay extra money through the MLB at-bat app so that I can watch the out-of-market. My home team is an out-of-market team. I can't watch them on TV here in the, in the Maryland, D.C. area. So I pay like, I don't know, $100 a year or something to be able to watch 162 games. And I will watch a lot of them. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And I'm planning on watching. Uh, they'll be here next weekend, so I'm planning on going to that, too. It's going to be good. fun. Yeah, and you are like I just I'm just thinking about the annoyance of crossing the street over there to get to the metro and have to go right by Nationals Park and yeah, it's just annoying. It's just annoys me. For me, I since I drive down here and we have a, a garage in the building, the only uh, irritant for me is when they're early games. The yeah. parking garage attendance. What they do is they go out there. They'll <laughs> only let a certain number of people who are there for the Nationals games yeah. park, and they charge them more right. if they're not if they don't work in the building. So I have to. It's only like a few seconds, but I have to prove to them that I work here, like show them that I have the little thing to get into the garage that I paid to park. You know, put on your radio voice? Don't yeah. you know who I am? I, I don't think that guy cares. <laughs> Speaking of don't you know who I am, last night at the Hillvets 100 Gala, uh, my wife had a good laugh when someone asked her, what does it feel like to be married to a celebrity? She ah! was like, ah! And I laughed even harder, <laughs> thinking, yes, to a very, very small circle of people, that may be people true. People should have asked you what it's like to be married to such a beautiful woman. Oh, yeah. and her She dr- looked stunning. She did, and her dress was uh, the uh, talk of the uh, the other ladies that were there. Everyone came over. The official <laughs> photographer of the event came over and said, I've seen that dress, and I haven't seen it in front of my, uh, you know, the, the backdrop that you have to stand in for the photos and stuff like that. So uh, we got to dress up, be adults, get a babysitter, and hang out with an amazing group of people. Um, just sitting at our table, we had uh, one of the founders, Lisa, uh, and the marketer, Lisa, from Our Riveter, which is the military spouse creator brand that makes these amazing leather bags and all these okay. other things. They also gave us, because we were sitting there and I was telling them, like, oh, yeah, I didn't get to interview them on the show. Jake was hosting the show that day um they gave us these little leather things that apparently from what they say and i didn't get to use them today because i forgot my earbuds at home they keep your earbuds like from getting tangled up oh cool which is a good good thing because i bring in earbuds here every day in my pocket and then i have to spend five minutes before the show untangling them (laughs) so they were there um the major general that is in charge of uh, basically like Army information technology, a lot of the Internet stuff and things like that. Uh, that's uh, Major General Taylor. He was there, and mm-hmm. he, he went around introducing himself at the table. I told you a little bit about this at the beginning, <laughs> and uh, I told him what I do. And then I realized afterwards that, uh, that I had actually sent him an email asking uh, for a clarification on how the Army deals with something before. And uh, so that was cool to actually meet him in person after mm-hmm. we had emailed a couple of times. Uh, and then uh, the gentleman who was behind him said, I'm sorry, I didn't hear all that. Can I... Can you tell me about it? And I said, yeah. So I told him what I did. And he was like, oh, fantastic. I, yeah, I'm, I'm here with the general. And I said, oh, are, are you his aide? No, I'm his husband. <laughs> I said, oh, man, there's my faux pas of the evening. And at least it wasn't a fashion faux pas. Right. I clean up fairly nicely to the point where one of my former guests from the Fisher House went, <laughs> introduced herself. And I said, hi, I'm Eric Dame from Connecting Vets. And she said, oh. Yeah, that's the same name as the guy who does the uh, the radio. I was like, that's me. You were on my show like a month ago. She said, oh, my God, I didn't recognize you. I said, well, yeah, I'm not wearing my, my typical work outfit, which is oftentimes like jeans and a polo shirt or a T-shirt or something like that. But really a fantastic night. Uh, there was some intrigue heading into it. I told my wife she might be a party to some uh, some political news because... Right. 
Now former VA Secretary Shulkin was scheduled to be the presenter of the Lifetime Achievement Award, mm-hmm. which um, he was would have presented to uh, a former VFW National Commander's Vietnam veteran. Yesterday was Vietnam Veterans uh, Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, really fitting, and they did a great video tribute uh, to the commander, and it went up there. Um, he was on the program, and I was wondering, and people were like, is he going to be here? Is he not going to be he, he was, was busy doing the rounds on the TV. Yeah, he was doing. Uh, I saw him on PBS, NPR, a couple other MSNBC places. Yeah, so he was uh, he was pretty busy yesterday. He hasn't gone under a rock and hidden, but he, uh, you know, based on what happened to him in the last twenty four hours, had to uh, make a little change of plans and do some <laughs> other stuff. But an incredibly varied and impressive group of people. You had your in uniform members. I saw one of those uh, Army Ranger colonels over there. Of course, the the general that was sitting at my table. Uh, all the VSOs were there. A lot of amazing companies. Military Times was one of the sponsors of it. They were there. Uh, Rob Wilkins, thanks to Rob. He's such a great guy. He's helped us out in many ways. Um, and then I got to meet, I think my favorite thing about it, Jonathan, was meeting so many of the people that we've had on the show that I'd never met in person, like Griff from oh, Combat yeah. Flip Flops. Oh, yeah, I bet. I look over and I'm like, well, I've put your photo on my Twitter account <laughs> a billion times when you're coming on the show and said, so like, hey, Combat Flip. And just a uh, really incredibly nice guy, an intense guy. Now, he's a Ranger Battalion guy, mm-hmm. and they tend to be intense. Yeah. They also tend to be a little bit off, as I can tell you, because I have a cousin <laughs> who served in the uh, 2nd Battalion of the 75th Ranger Regiment. They're just uh, they're interesting, unique people, but... You know how uh, sometimes you can tell people are listening to you. They just focus. They make you yeah. feel like you're the only person. Yeah. I'm horrible at that. I don't even like looking at people sometimes when I'm talking to them. <laughs> I'll just be like, eh, I work in radio. As long as I can hear the voice, I don't right. worry about what you can and can't see. Griff has that like laser focus. Yeah. He's looking you in the eye. He's paying attention to what you're saying. Um, incredibly nice guy, as I said. So many uh, are Riveter getting to meet them after, even though I didn't get to interview him, which I told him, like, eh, next time you're coming, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to be the one. Um, getting to meet all those people. People in person was fantastic. Seeing all of the uh, the amazing uh, folks that were there, like Zach Fike of Purple Hearts Reunited. We're going to talk to Zach in just a little bit. We actually recorded our interview with him yesterday. His flight was delayed. He was going to be on the show yesterday. Um, they're an organization that that finds not just Purple Hearts, but other medals that have been lost or otherwise separated yeah. from those who earned them and return them to the veteran themselves if they're surviving or to their family members if they're not. And they've found hundreds of purple heart medals i mean there are about two million of them that have been given out yeah that's a pretty incredible thing he does and he would be a very intimidating person oh yeah. to have to come up against oh dude big dude major <laughs> yeah. in the uh, vermont national guard and as we said since we pre-recorded it yesterday and he's already uh, i think he's getting on a plane right now he may be listening <laughs> to us um he is uh uh, a large man. Yeah, he's huge. Maybe he was like six seven or six yeah. eight or something like that. He's a big dude. Which he was like, you know, it's uh, has its benefits when the drill sergeants at, at basic were trying to yell at me, and you know they want to get right in your face. He's like, they couldn't. They'd yeah. be at my chest, and that was it. He said, but also when you're over in Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, you make a pretty big target when you're right. this big. And I was like, ah, yeah, that is that's a, a valid. Downside. A valid concern. So um, there were awards that were given out last night. The veteran uh, business of the year was our Riveter. So they were sitting at our table. Mm-hmm. This was the they they came up with nominees. This so this is how they did it, which I thought was pretty cool. They came up with the nominees, and 
all of them were great group. Combat Flip Flops was on there. They did a video presentation for each of the nominees, kind of like you know when they show a scene at the yeah. Oscars for best, uh, you know, whatever. I don't watch the Oscars anymore. What are they? <laughs> best actor, um, whatever the awards are. And uh, and then you logged on to a website through your phone and you voted for one of them. So the vote for the actual award winners of the the, the like four major uh-huh. awards that they gave out last night were voted for by the people who were in attendance. Oh, so at the it was gala. there that night. Yeah. Oh, it was voted on really there. Cool. Our Riveter won, and Lisa from Our Riveter, you could tell, was just shocked. She was like, wait a second, the, the army ranger who's making flip-flops and sending girls to school in Afghanistan and teaching them how to read, My, I was voted over him and talking about the other things. She went up, uh, gave a wonderful speech about being a military spouse and what that means and why why she went into business for herself with our Riveter, her and uh, Cameron, who's her uh, co-founder. Mm-hmm. Uh, the two of them uh, had trouble finding work, mm. partially because they moved so often, you know, yeah. or you PCS... I think she said six times in eight years or something like that. It was just hard because people knew they wouldn't be there long term. They wouldn't yeah. hire them, so they went into business for themselves, created this amazing thing. If you haven't checked out our Riveter, um, as you can uh, tell from what Jonathan said, my wife is a rather fashionable lady. She knows mm-hmm. what she's doing when it comes to that stuff. I was showing her the R Riveter website, and she was very impressed. She was like, oh, <laughs> I'm going to have to check out some of I this stuff. I want this. I want a lot this. of leather goods and, and accessories and things like that, and all created by military spouses uh, and then the way that they put it together, you can go to the website and see it. So they won that one. Uh, the nonprofit of the year was, I think this one, when I saw the nonprofits of the year listed, I was like, oh, I think I know who's going to win this one because it was a huge year. This mm-hmm. was the 2017 awards. Right. So 2018 ceremony, 2017 awards. I don't know what that sound was. The uh, Squealing the like yeah, I don't know there. if people could hear that, but there was some horrible, <laughs> god awful sound from outside that just made him get up out of his office and look around. I don't know, but um, last year Montgomery GI Bill or not the Montgomery the post nine eleven GI Bill the changes to that a lot of changes and a lot of uh, good movement in the world of student veterans. Mm-hmm. Well, Student Veterans of America were nominated as one of the nonprofits and they won that. Good. So Jared Lyon of SVA went up there talked about all the great work that's being done by his team and all of that. Uh, as I mentioned, your lifetime achievement award that you had and then your veteran of the year really uh, the big one of the year in my opinion was. Um, Senior Master Sergeant Israel uh, Del Toro of the United States Air Force, who became the first ever person to go back onto active duty after being declared, I think, 100% disabled. Wow. He was horribly injured mm-hmm. in an IED explosion, uh, burned, like like third-degree burns over most of his body. Mm-hmm. Um, his hands are essentially gone, and his goal was to get back into uniform and to start serving again. Hmm. And a few years after uh, his injury, he also talked about the fact that he was um, – that he was uh, in the hospital and in a coma for quite a while. Uh, Israel came back and is now, as I said, senior master sergeant. He was there in uniform. He's serving in the Air Force, continuing his service despite suffering such horrible injuries. So uh, it was really uh, an honor to meet him and great to see him selected as the veteran of the year. Our friend Rob Jones was one of the other people nominated for that. Uh, You know, just so many deserving people. And Israel was sure to point that out when he gave his acceptance speech last night. And that's the kind of award ceremony I can get down with. Again, the Oscars and the Grammys and all that stuff. Ah, no, thank you. I don't need to see multimillionaires congratulating each other on pretending to be something else or a two-minute song that they wrote. Israel Del Toro was recognized last night for 
years and years of hard, grueling work just to get back into uniform. And let's think about that for a moment. Every single one of us that's put on the uniform knows that there are, I can't say every one of us, but most of us would feel that there are just as many bad days, if not more, and good days when you're serving in the uniform. It's a difficult job. It's a thankless job at times. It's a job that many people, they're counting down the days. I knew a guy who had 15 years in, he would count down the days of five years, and he'd be like, well, it's going to be uh, 1,700 days in a wake-up until I get in. Every day he would count it down. It's a difficult job. It's a thankless job. It's something that only uh, a few people can do, and only a few people can do long-term. Israel Del Toro did that job, was horribly injured by that IED, was disfigured by the IED, had his body changed fundamentally by that IED, and the only thing that he was focused on afterwards was getting back into that uniform. Think about that. Getting back into that uniform so that some major or some lieutenant colonel could yell at him because of something that one of his young airmen did one day or something like that. That shows you the kind of of person that we're talking about here. And when you talk about someone like Rob Jones, who was also nominated there, again, 31 marathons in 31 days in 31 cities and two countries, uh, driving his, uh, driving, riding his bike across the country from Maine to San Diego uh, with two prosthetic legs, doing all of that with those. These these are the kind of people that I, I can sit through an award show for and get up and clap every time that there should be an applause break. And man, last night there were quite a few of those. Also quite a few emotional moments. You had the sergeant-at-arms of the Senate, Mr. Larkin. He's a retired Navy SEAL and uh, was up there and told us the story of his son. His son, Ryan Larkin, was a SEAL, a SEAL in a different era than his father, quite obviously. And as as Mr. Larkin said last night, his son was a SEAL who dealt with 10 years of constant combat operations, as opposed to him, who was in during a non-combat period, essentially. His son, Ryan, took his life last year, and he told us that story, and he told us of finding his son after he'd taken his life. He told us of uh, the struggles that he'd had in the... In the system, in the VA system and otherwise, trying to get help for what he knew was wrong with him. But as Mr. Larkin told us last night, that that essentially they were treating the symptom and not treating the cause. They didn't seem to believe his son when he said there was something wrong in his head. Uh, and he is leaving his post as sergeant-at-arms. He said to address that issue specifically, he's going to work full-time in addressing that issue. So really a, an emotional night, really a, a night to see so many people recognize in so many great ways Jonathan Copanger is now back in the studio with us. And Jonathan, as I was saying, I think you are kind of in the same vein as me when it comes to the award shows like the Oscars. I just, I can't do it, I man. I can't do it. I can't watch someone who got $50 million nope. to pretend that they, well, let's, let's, who can we use as a specific, oh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh. I can't see someone <laughs> who has a private jet and then, you know, lectures everyone else about how they need to be environmentally conscious. Right. Like, well, right. okay, how about you stop flying around in the Learjet, Leo? <laughs> I can't see him getting paid $35 million for uh, that, that movie that he did where he pretended to be an old-timey uh, hunter or whatever uh-huh. out in the Pacific Northwest. You know, the one with the bear yeah. and the, the people that it. got. It's a very good movie. It's an excellent movie. I love movies. I can appreciate the movie. The fact that 
anyone feels the need to give him like a trophy on top of that. Like $35 million recognition, uh, the lifestyle that he led. That's not enough recognition. The award ceremony last night, people like Senior Master Sergeant Israel Del Toro, the veteran of the year, again, 100% disabled, struggled and fought every day to get back into uniform. And I was pointing out, Jonathan, the fact that he struggled and fought every day to get back into uniform so that some major could yell at him about what his airmen did and he's got to take care of yeah. and all these things. To struggle to get back to one of the, the least forgiving jobs that there is, one of the most stressful jobs that there is. Watching an award ceremony for people like him, for people like Mr. Larkin, people like Rob Jones, who uh, was one of the nominees for Veteran of the Year, people like Jared Lyon, who's doing this uh, amazing, tireless work for mm -hmm. veterans out there uh, and with SVA, that's the kind of award ceremony I can sit through. Yeah, those are the ones that we need to get billions of people to watch instead yeah. of you know the other... That needs to be on TV. Exactly. I want people to see our Riveter. I want people to see Lisa from our Riveter talking about the struggles of being a military spouse. I yeah. don't want to hear, uh, you know, someone who made $10 million complaining that their co-star made $12 million because of their gender. Oh, I'm sorry. That extra $2 million really would have brought you yeah, up I get above it. the that, That's an line. issue, but what's more of an issue? Yeah. I what mean, these people have, to, have yeah. gone through. And, the, and, and it's an issue. I mean, at the level where they're talking about it, that's one where I just don't like. It's like professional <laughs> athletes. It, it's very similar to me as when a professional athlete might be like, you know, I'm worth more. Than this, and just because I'm older, and that's age discrimination, and blah blah, blah. like, okay, yeah, great, uh -huh. but again, is that two million dollars going to push you above the poverty line? Like, what, 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 what's, right. what are we really talking about here when we're talking about uh, people like Rob and Israel and Lisa and Jared and Mr. Larkin and everyone who was there last night? These are people who who have done a lot of amazing things, and they're not doing it for millions of dollars, yeah. and they didn't do it for the recognition. I mean, our Riveter was like, this is so cool that this just even exists, and for us to be uh, nominated for something and invited here mm -hmm. that's just the coolest thing in the world and then to be able to get up on stage in front of people like uh, former secretary of defense chuck hagel and yeah. former white house spokesman admiral john kirby who was my boss for a period of time not mm. like boss like i'd see him every day but i get uh, instructions that came down with his signature on it when he was chief of information and things like that to be able to have those people get up in front of that room mm -hmm. was fantastic to get them up in front of a, a larger public yeah. audience i think would be uh, even more amazing, and I think it would be a, a success. And I think yeah. that's I think that's the next step for a lot of these veteran uh, recognition programs, for lack of a better word, to get them in front of a larger audience because I think people would watch and I think people would appreciate. I mean, whether it's on you know CNBC or whatever, like the main C-SPAN, whatever right. it may not be the most watched network in the world, it's probably not going to be prime time on ABC. Uh, oh, I have to tell you later, I saw a fantastic uh, article on Roseanne on the new show. Oh, okay. We've been talking about this a little bit on off air about how Roseanne is back, and a lot of people seem to be very angry that the show did very it's, well. It's crazy. I mean, it's just, it's comedy, people. Yeah. It, it, who cares what the personal life is like? It's comedy. If you enjoy it, enjoy it. But there's been some brutal things on oh, the yeah. internet in the last couple of days oh, yeah. about her. Oh, yeah. And while some of them I'm like, uh, okay, I didn't know about this and I forgot about this. Yeah. But it's like it has nothing to do with the fact that the show was funny. I love how they dealt with the po politics side of things. I love right. how they pulled from each side of the divide in, that's in our country and brought it all right into the middle of everything and showed that everybody could get along. Yep. And it was done with humor and grace, and I loved it. I – um was looking, you know, as I get in here in the morning, I scan through the news to see what we're going to talk about. Today, I didn't have to do as much because I knew we were going to talk a lot about the Hill Vets 100 mm -hmm. Gala and all that stuff and, uh, and Secretary Shulkin and the question of whether he'd be there and whether he wouldn't be. Uh, so I was scanning through some of the regular news sites, and one of the opinions that I saw was, should the LGBT community watch Roseanne? 
And I'm like, well, <laughs> what, what, what? <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and it's funny because my my husband is a lot more um, vocal than I am on certain things. Right, right. And I'm a lot more easygoing. We'll just put it that way. Um, he For the longest time, he was not going to watch Roseanne. And I've been reading some articles about it. And I sent him one that was written by a gay journalist. And the headline was, yes, homosexuals, you will enjoy this show. And, you know, just like, just get over yourself because personal life is personal life. Yeah. This is a comedy. It is to entertain. Just go with it. And do you think Sarah Gilbert, who's a rather liberal lesbian yeah. actress, very well known and puts out her opinions on uh, The View or The Chew or whatever god awful show she's on um, where people just yell at each other for and it's a couple hours every morning. That's a great way to start off your day. We should do it. Yeah. Hey, let's just start screaming. <laughs> I don't like those orange shoes. It's not. It should be New York Mets. Um, the... I, I, you know, I wondered about that. I was like, when I see these op-eds, like, I mean, if Sarah Gilbert is willing to be a part of the show, yeah. I, I think it may be okay for you to decide if you want to watch it. And if you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. I, I tend not to like or dislike anything based on uh, any group that I fall into. Right? Like, there's yeah. no... You know, there, I've seen some movies that people are like, oh, that's an anti-veteran movie. And I'm like, well, I had a different perspective. I don't need to agree with it to understand it, yeah. to maybe even enjoy it and stuff like that. And, you know, there's the other people who go the other way and be like a movie like American Sniper. Like, oh, he may have exaggerated one or two things about his career. <gasps> For a book and a movie? Some exaggeration? Right? I know. Oh. Let's just look at what's in front of us. Yeah. And let's, let's probably assume that as uh, one of the most decorated Navy SEALs, he probably did some stuff that was... <laughs> pretty impressive well as always we're trying to be impressive here and we've got an impressive slate of guests coming up joe davis from the vfw is already in the house he's going to talk to us about the hill vets 100 gala as well as change of leadership at the va and more and zach fike from purple hearts reunited coming up later morning briefing back after this you're listening to the morning briefing here on intercoms connectingvets.com. connecting vets every day it's what we do Joining us now in the morning briefing studio is someone currently serving the nation and also serving those who are recipients of one of our nation's most hallowed and revered decorations. I'm speaking of the Purple Heart, and I'm speaking of the organization Purple Hearts Reunited, and their founder, Zach Fike, joins us now in the morning briefing. Zach, good morning. How are you today? Good morning. How are you do? It's an honor to be here. It's fantastic to have you down. I know you traveled down from Vermont. I'd love to say that you traveled down just to see us, but you're actually in town for something else, and we were able to uh, talk you into coming in and talk to us about your fantastic organization. Before we talk about Purple Hearts Reunited, though, let's talk about Zach Fike and who he is, where you're from, when did you join, and what do you do? Sure, yeah. I'm currently serving in the Vermont Army National Guard as an AGR, which is Active Guard Reserve. Um, I call it the best hidden secret in America, um, basically keeping your position within the military in one state, mm. and you don't have to PCS across the country. So it's pretty nice if you have a family. Uh, this June is 20 years of service for me. Wow. Uh, I joined when I was 17, uh, right out of high school, went to basic training my junior year, and uh, they call it a split option. And um, came back, finished my senior year of high school, and then shipped off to AIT. There you um, go. So back in 2004, I went to the dark side and went to ROTC, <laughs> uh, Marshall University, got my commission oh, okay. as an infantry officer. And uh, here I am, 20 years later, uh, seems like it was a flash in the past of uh, service to the, to the country. 
a good buddy of mine enlisted in the Marine Corps out of high school and then went to Marshall University, didn't do ROTC. After that, he went to the Army, uh, the Warrant Officer Program, and flies Blackhawks and other sorts of high-speed helicopters and is still doing that today. He joined around the same time, like 1997, when he was 18 or so. So, yeah, there's quite a few people out at Marshall and a pretty good community of those looking to go into the service and veterans at Marshall University, isn't there? Yeah, West Virginia in, a, in, in its totality, you know, has a high ratio of veterans per capita, uh, just like Vermont. You know, smaller states, but they, they believe in service. They're good, you know, American people that don't have a lot. They're not, you know, fortunate in some regards as far as population goes. Um, but they have that drive to serve our country, and, and it doesn't get any better than that. Vermont believes in a few things, you know, our country, our cheese, and, of course, Ben and Jerry's ice cream. That's and one of don't forget things. beer. Oh, that's true. Yeah. And uh, in the wintertime, just being absolutely miserably cold, but having great skiing up there with, like, Stowe and all those other places. See, I'm a very southern New England guy, but we used to travel up to Vermont every once in a while. Beautiful, beautiful state. Now, as you said, 20 years in. So does that mean retirement is on the horizon for you? And if so, what are you doing to get ready for that? Yeah, we're getting close. Uh, my body's starting to wear out. Uh, <laughs> I got a bad back. I'm an infantry guy, so you spend your whole career carrying a rucksack. You know, it catches up to you. Um, but I've taken what I've learned through the military, and I've focused on the future and what that future looks like. Uh, I'm a part owner of a brewery in the state of Vermont. It's the fifth largest brewery, 14-star brewing company. Some amazing products coming out, uh, Valor Ale, Tribute, and oh, nice. now Follow Me IPA. Wow, uh, and yes. you didn't bring any down for us. That's upsetting, but, you know, that's <laughs> <Yeah>. okay. <laughs> it doesn't carry well on an airplane. And, yeah, I'm just bringing a six-pack of beer for a radio show host down in D.C. What's the problem? <laughs> Absolutely. I got you in the future. <laughs> there you go. And, Next uh, time I'm up in Vermont, definitely I'm swinging by that brewery. Yeah, and we just <laughs> expanded, and we opened up a distillery. So we're actually making bourbon now. Oh, wow. And uh, so it's a it's a learning process, and uh, I attribute uh, what I know and, and my business you know sense in that regard, or discipline, if you want to call it that, from the military. So mm -hmm. uh, military service does have an advantage uh, after after you retire. And as someone who enjoys a bit of whiskey from time to time, those who hear bourbon in Vermont, you can make bourbon wherever. It's not limited to Kentucky. Bourbon has to do with the ingredients. It has to do with the barrels. It has to do with the specifics of it. They made uh, bourbon uh, down the street from me in Long Island. They had one out there that was uh, named after Teddy Roosevelt. So if you can make it in New York within like 45 minutes of New York City, you can certainly make it up in Vermont so people can learn about that if they want to. Uh, and if people want to find out about those businesses that you have, where do they go to find out more info on those? Uh, they can hit us up on Facebook, either 14 Star or Danger Close Craft Distilling. Uh, so a little shout out to the uh, little military community. centric, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. Of course, Zach has a lot of things going on between his service in the National Guard, his uh, his jobs that he was just telling about us running this brewery and this distillery. But what he's really here to talk to us about is his organization that he founded called Purple Hearts Reunited. This is an organization that's doing fantastic things. And Zach, I'm going to let you tell people exactly what the mission of Purple Hearts Reunited is. So Purple Hearts Reunited is an organization that returns lost, stolen, or misplaced uh, military medals of valor. Uh, not necessarily just Purple Hearts, but primarily that's our mission set. Uh, believe it or not, these medals are turning up all over the country. Old abandoned homes, vehicles, mm. furniture, metal detector enthusiasts are finding them buried in the ground. Mm. You know, we get an opportunity to have history sent to us every day. We're receiving one to two of these medals per day. And through the name on the back of these medals, which typically means it's a posthumous medal, so the soldier died on the field of battle, right? 
we are able to do the historical research to essentially identify who the veteran was, what service they had, and, and where they paid that ultimate sacrifice. And then we start diving into the weeds of who their family was. Uh, we'll research until we find a living descendant. We will professionally frame that medal free of charge, and we'll travel to these hometowns across the country to bring home and essentially the last tangible item that a family will ever receive of mm. their loved one. Have there been any instances, and it's just out of curiosity that I bring this up, because you talk about how most of them will be posthumous, and a large number of Purple Hearts that are given out are posthumous awards, unfortunately. Um, have there been many cases of actual living Purple Heart recipients where you've come across their medals? And if so, how did those medals come up missing from them? Yeah, actually, our first return to a living descendant was a veteran of World War II, hmm. George Hemphill. He lives in North Carolina. Uh, 1944, actually September 11th of all days, he was in a foxhole during a firefight and uh, he raised up to take a peek and took some shrapnel to the face Oof. and it temporarily blinded him. Yeah. Uh, while he was recovering in an aid station, General Patton himself came by and awarded him his Purple Heart. Um, wow. He thought he was headed home, but unfortunately for him, uh, he regained his sight, I should say <laughs> fortunately, but he really yeah. wanted to go home. At that point, he was in war for a year at that point. And um, they were saying, no, you, we need guys. So yeah. You're going back to the front lines. Um, he had two days of R&R. So he found a local engraver, just like in today's society over in Iraq and Afghanistan. He got a lot of haji shops and things of that nature that will give you trinkets or engrave something. So yeah. he had his purple heart engraved. And then he sent it home to his mom. Hmm. Uh, he was afraid he would lose it. And um, he had a essentially... Uh, a pact with his mother that if I send anything home, don't look at it, put it in my trunk, in my room, and I'll get it when I come home. Right. Unfortunately for him, that medal never never got there. It was wow. lost in the mail, circulated for probably 60 years. Who knows where it traveled to, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. And it was later found by a Vietnam veteran who didn't collect antiques. He was just on a business trip and needed to kill some time. So he ventured into an antique shop, and he found a Purple Heart for George Hemfield sitting on a shelf for $70. Huh. Uh, he turned to our organization, and we were able to find George still living at 92 years old. Wow. And uh, we traveled to his hometown and, and presented that medal back to him. And uh, it was pretty neat. He was a great man, still is, still living on the farm, still farming at 95 now. Yeah. And uh, true American patriot, uh, went through some hell of war. And having that medal has given him some peace and clarity in his life. And uh, we share a wound day. I was actually wounded myself on September 11th. Uh, so it was neat to share that day with a, with a hero of World War II. Wow. And that is uh, really a fantastic example of exactly what Purple Hearts Reunited is all about. We're speaking with Zach Fike, major in the Vermont National Guard and also founder of Purple Hearts Reunited. Now, uh, as you said, the majority of these that you're dealing with, though, are posthumous medals. I think from what I've seen, of other organizations that have found people, you know, people that came across a medal and wanted to get it back to someone, the people who are the ones who earned them are oftentimes a little bit less emotional about it than the families of those who may have lost a loved one that's no longer still with them, where you might give, uh, I saw, I remember watching a video of a bronze star that they found for a World War II veteran who his reaction was just kind of like, huh, that's funny. Yeah, I didn't even realize I'd lost it, but yeah, that's me, so I guess it's got to be mine. Just kind of matter of fact about it, because it was their life. What have been some of the reactions from the families of those who are no longer with us, those who were either killed in action or, or passed away after the fact, and their families now get this uh, this amazing memento of their amazing service to our nation? 
Yeah, I mean, you gotta you gotta look at it from the family perspective, and in my opinion, they are our nationals treasures. Mm. You know, they've had to live with this burden of of death of a family member their entire lives. You know, envision yourself sitting in your living room with your wife or your husband. You know, you just received that telegram that your only son was never coming home. And then 30 to 60 days after the fact, you receive unannounced a box that contained this Purple Heart case. You know, you're sitting there, you open it up, you see that Purple Heart for the first time, you turn it over and you see that name engraved on the back. For a lot of these families, that was the last tangible item that they'll ever receive. And in its own spiritual way, from what we've seen from over 400 returns across this country, is those medals in, in its own way represents them. Yeah. And, and wives carried around on a necklace all, every day of their lives. Uh, you know, had a special place for it on the mantle. And uh, to be separated with something that means so much to someone and then have it reunited some 70 years later, yeah. it, it brings closure to families' lives. We've seen families literally have first their first ever family reunion. Uh, we've seen siblings stop fighting after 20 years, literally were at each other's throats. Hmm. And all around their father's returns, they decided to make up and, and move on with their lives. So it's got that third, fourth, fifth order effect of not just returning a medal. Right. In some cases, it's healing people. And that's why we continue to move forward. And it is a medal that has so much meaning to it. And you can look at the order of precedence of medals. I mean, the bronze star is technically higher than the Purple Heart, but the Purple Heart, in the eyes of the military and veteran community, it's right there with the Medal of Honor, really. I mean, it may not be on the awards chart or on your ribbon rack. It may not be up at that level. I mean, you may have something that's higher than it. In all reality, we know the truth of what the Purple Heart means and what it stands for, so it doesn't surprise me that it means so much for the families as well. And I know... Uh, many Purple Heart recipients uh, who are friends of mine who are, are more proud of their Purple Heart than anything that they have. There are, of course, those who don't really want to focus on the fact that they have a Purple Heart. Tends to be from a pretty bad memory as a recipient yourself. I think you can uh, you can vouch for that. But uh, certainly something that I think getting these medals back to their proper owners is a, a positive move and certainly a positive thing. And the work that you're doing is fantastic. A question about the... Uh, Basically, the the process of it, which is, I mean, we've had over two million Purple Hearts, I believe, given out since they were first awarded, or close to two million. Estimated. Anyway. Yeah, estimated. They first started giving them out back in the 30s to, uh, you know, World War One veterans. You were eligible for it uh, if you served on or after, basically, U.S. entry into World War One, which listeners of our show know is a uh, hundred years ago in 1917 that we entered the war. Uh, the hundredth uh, anniversary of Armistice Day is coming up later on this year. Um, how are these medals ending up being lost? I mean, you would think we hear, we just heard the story of the one that was lost in the mail. I can totally believe that, especially considering the amount of mail that we were dealing with during the World War II era going back and forth. And really, things weren't just always uh, quite as high speed as they are today. And even today, things get lost. How are the majority of them coming up missing, have you found? We call it circumstance of life. You know, things happen. We're talking 70 years in some cases. You know, you go back to World War One. we're talking almost 100 years now. Um, we've we've heard it all. Um, we've had medals turn up in an airline tarmac, so somebody was, you know, carrying it in their luggage and it fell out. Uh, taxi cab, so somebody was carrying it in the, in the taxi and forgot it. Uh, Broadway show, so a veteran was wearing their medal at the show and it fell off in the darkness. Um, and then there's a lot of cases where families, you know, you go back to the pre-war depression era, would hide their valuables. Mm. They'd find a secret place in the in the home. 
or in a, a piece of furniture or an old desk. And uh, over time, they forgot about it. They pass <laughs> on. You know, a young couple moves into this new home. They do some renovations, and they find this metal tucked away in the wall. That's pretty fascinating. And and one aspect of that, I think, is anything uh, something that most veterans, I think, can identify with. Actually wearing it, as you said, at a Broadway show, and it fell off at least half a dozen times in the 13 years I was in the Navy. Uh, I didn't have to wear my dress uniform or anything that had a, a full ribbon rack on it uh, all that often. But when I did, at least a half dozen times, you'd have some, in my case, it would almost always be some chief coming up to me like, Betty officer, why in the hell are you missing a ribbon off of that? And I'd look down and be like, oh, come on, man. It would be, usually be one of the ones on the end, of course, like your pistol or rifle marksmanship or one of those that would fall off. But I, to those who might think, how could you lose a Purple Heart? I, just the way you could lose anything. I mean, how can you lose your car keys? That's happened to all of us. This is something that uh, it's important to people, but it, there's, there's, it just happens, doesn't it? Absolutely. And we can't judge them for that. No. You know, and there's, there's some cases where some families do get rid of them. Um, you know, circumstances that I don't appreciate judging, you know, people are down on their times, you know, maybe need some money. Yeah, we don't see it very often, uh, but we've seen cases where uh, an older daughter had dementia and she mm. had no real, uh, she didn't realize what she was doing. Uh, but I contacted her sister and, and they were able to determine, yeah, she's not doing well. And they were able to swoop in and, and kind of save the day. She was getting rid of all their family effects. Oh, wow. Um, so f to judge a family or, or, or ask that hard question, well, how did it get out of the family in the first place? You know, there, there are some legitimate cases there, but for the most part, from what we're seeing, they're honest mistakes mm. where families just put it in the wrong box during a move. It fell off the truck. Um, you know, a kid took it to school to brag and show his friends and he, he dropped it on the playground. Yeah. You name it. Uh, again, circumstance of life. And we have the opportunity to deliver that history back to that family. Hey, you mentioned the kids, and I, I have a young son now, five years old, who uh, who was seeing my shadow box and being like, wow, Daddy, they gave you lots of awards. And I was like, yeah, I guess there are a few in there. And at some point, he may ask to do that for show and tell to bring something in. I'll be willing to let him do that. Thankfully, uh, all none of mine are... Uh, uh, quite as uh, severe and significant as a purple heart or anything like that. Um, but th that could certainly be an issue that could happen where, you know, your son or daughter says, Hey dad, mom, I want to take your purple heart or your whatever and bring it in and show people and things happen, man. And with kids, weird things happen. I mean, as a father, I can tell you every day there's some new weird thing happening with my son and everything going on at home. Um, but when we look at the fact that an estimation of about 2 million of these have been presented to our wounded warriors over the years, of course, with the uh, the recent conflicts in Iraq and Afghanistan, there have been quite a few. My time in Afghanistan, I was uh, witness to dozens of Purple Hearts being awarded to people uh, out there uh, outside the wire. Go out to a fob. I saw General Petraeus show up to a fob and give somebody uh, their Purple Heart, which was pretty cool. My point is, there's more of these coming up, and there are going to be more generations that get older, and the more time they spend, there's going to be more of these that come up missing, aren't they? So, I mean, Purple Hearts Reunited, you guys can't really have an end-of-mission date in, in sight or anything like that, can you? We, we've just scratched the surface. Uh, I'd say about 70 to 80% of the medals we receive are World War II, uh, another 10% are World War I in Korea, uh -huh. um, and then you get about 9% Vietnam. We're actually starting to see a ton of Vietnam medals pouring in. You know, those guys are dying early. Yeah. Uh, and God bless them. Today is their day. Um, yep. So shout out to my dad, who's a Vietnam veteran. Uh, thanks for your service, dad. But in about 1% of 
OIF, OEF. We're getting about one or two metals uh, a year from the current generation. Um, so yeah, we're starting to see that transition from World War II now into Korea, Vietnam, and we're starting to see more metals pouring in from current day. And I, I think that transition will continue to develop and we'll start seeing more and more medals from, you know, the 20 years of fighting in Iraq and Afghanistan. And uh, hopefully we'll have some more living returns mm. and, and maybe impact a living veteran. You know, that's our mission is not only to impact those families, but impact veterans. And we do that through the Valor Guard. Uh, we have veterans like myself, about 35 currently that are signed up that volunteer to do these returns for us. Uh, if you're my Dallas guy and I have a family located, I'll contact you. I'll frame that metal and I'll ship it down to you and wow. let you go forward and do that return. And what we're finding is it's healing for these veterans to go through this process. It gives you a mission again. It, it gives you, you know, the will to get your uniform back on, stand up in front of a family, talk about your service, and, and ultimately bring something as special as a Purple Heart back to this family that lost so much. Mm. It gives you a sense of pride again. And we're pretty proud of that program. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I was going to ask you. Now I've got the answer to is is what what is the process of actually getting them back? I mean, you've got thirty plus people. You just said how many? Absolutely, we've got about thirty five volunteers uh, across the country in multiple different states. It used to be just me traveling on weekends. I could do about thirty five returns a year, hmm. and now having this Valor Guard, we've expanded. We did a hundred returns last year, and we're on track to do about one hundred and fifty to two hundred this year. Wow, uh, we're growing uh, tremendously every year. Um, but with that success comes more medals. Yeah. Every time we return a medal, we take that step forward. But by the time I get home, we got 10 more medals sitting on our porch because people have these. Like we've just scratched the surface right. of those 1.82 million medals. You know, we've returned close to 500. I would say there's tens of thousands of these medals out there. Mm. And as they read about our stories, People then know where to turn to, and they're sending us these medals. I've seen them personally at like antique stores, swap meet. I saw one at a swap meet in uh, Norfolk, Virginia, or Virginia Beach uh, years and years ago. Uh, fairly recently saw one at a pawn shop that I stepped into, and kind of like, uh, as you were talking about, the guy who had to kill some time, I had to kill some time. There was a pawn shop. I was like, I wonder what they got in here. Maybe I'll pick up something silly went in and there was a purple heart in there. And I kind of wondered about that. Um, but that's the only thing I did. I wondered Zach Fike, founder of purple hearts reunited and major in the Vermont national guard. He's doing a little bit more about this and actually reuniting recipients of the purple heart. And not only the purple heart, as you said, but other medals as well. And as you pointed out, the Vietnam generation is getting older. I mean, if you were 17, 18 years old, when you uh, uh, joined up or when you were drafted or when you went to Vietnam, you're pushing 70. I mean, the younger Vietnam veterans are pushing 70 these days. It's a generation that's going to get older, um, as we all do, and eventually we all suffer the same fate. We all pass away, and that's oftentimes when these things can get lost, I would imagine, as they go into uh, the possession of a relative who may not know that it's in a box or may know that it's in a box or not understand the significance, of you, as you've talked about. Reminds me of a, a story that we saw recently in the Washington Post with Dan Lamoth, who has uh, been on the show to talk about it. It's called Letters from War, where... Three brothers serving in World War II, uh, at least one of which was a Purple Heart recipient, I think about maybe even two, where they um, had all these letters that their family had collected 
and they put them into a box and the box was found in an abandoned storage shelter in Arizona because the family member who had taken them, put them in the storage box, didn't have room at home, passed away. There weren't any next of kin anymore. And then someone went and like a, like the storage wars show or whatever, bought the thing, looked in there and said, Whoa, I don't know what this is. There is so much of this out there. And I don't know if any of it is more near and dear to the heart of those of us in the military and veteran community than those medals and awards that I don't care what it is, man. I don't care if it's the defense meritorious service medal you get as soon as you get out of boot camp or the global war on terrorism service medal. They all have meaning and they are all proof and validation of what you did for our country. Uh, How important is it to you on a personal level to be able to see these things reunited with those who earned them? Oftentimes when we do that research, there's nothing. There's no story. These guys are just a name on an honor roll. We as a country, I believe, have failed to preserve that legacy. There is no story. There is no background of where this veteran came from, who he was, who his family was. And through this organization and through this mission, we have an opportunity to tell their story for the first time. You know, for a lot of veterans who are alive today, yeah, medals are important, but they're not really our priority. Uh, But they do become priority as you age. And a lot of these veterans who are calling us from the World War II, Korea time frame, who are literally on their deathbed, that's all they have. Yeah. That, that memory of service, that memory of war, the brothers and sisters that served to their left and right, and that's their legacy that they want to pass on to their families. Mm-hmm. So that medal becomes a symbol of them and, and their accomplishments. So they're they're very special, yeah. and, and they don't deserve a place in a pawn shop or an antique shop. They deserve to be rescued. They deserve to be in a home of honor, whether that's with the family or in a, in a museum somewhere. And we, as a country, have to tell their story or these guys will be forgotten. Right. We've been speaking with Zach Fike. He is a major in the Vermont National Guard and the founder of Purple Hearts Reunited, an organization working to reunite medals earned by our service members with those who earn them and their families. Zach, if people want to find out more about Purple Hearts Reunited or if they're interested in possibly joining up and being one of these people who actually goes out and presents the medals for you, where do they go to find out all that information? You can email us at purpleheartsreunited.org. You can message me on Facebook. We'd love to have you on the team. Um, We just need to get these medals home. And I think it will be a life-changing experience for you to be in front of that family and see that raw emotion and to be able to impact a life uh, or bring closure to a family is very important. Um, Or if you want to get into brewing or distilling, you know, (laughs) we want to expand the foundation and those businesses as a place for veterans to come and learn. Mm. You know, we experience what we've learned in the military. We all have special resources and tools that we've learned over those years of service. And uh, you just got to have that confidence to, to move forward, take a leap of faith, take some risk and, and do something great and, and, and get off the couch and, yeah. and tell your story and tell people about your service. And together we can do great things. You can visit purpleheartsreunited.org. That is the website. A great website. has stories, testimonials. You can learn about exactly what they're doing, how they're doing it, and it does have the contact information if you're interested in being one of those uh, volunteers who basically works uh, to do this uh, amazing work and and help reunite the medals with those who earn them. Well, Zach, we want to thank you so much for joining us on the Morning Briefing. Thanks for coming in all the way from Vermont just to see us and for no other reason. We appreciate it. It's an honor. God bless America. (laughs) T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. 
and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.